is a Momentum Media production. Investing insights with Right Property Group. Exploring trends in real estate and helping property investors gain financial security. G'day, how you going? Phil Tarrant, co-host. Investing Insights, Right Property Group. Hope you're well. Hope you're enjoying this first month of 2022. Welcome to the new year. Uh, and what's going to happen in property? Who knows? But I think it's going to be a, uh, a formative year in property, probably more so than that prior. There's a whole bunch of moving parts. The normalization of whether it is that of the COVID virus, uh, everyone getting used to living with it. Uh, things are changing. Uh, and you're seeing already seismic changes in property markets. So we'll get into that today. Joining in me in the studio, Steve Waters and Victor Kumar. These two gentlemen are the directors of Right Property Group, a property strategist company, buyer's agent. Um, I don't know, what's the right way to, to, to define what you guys do, Victor? Over the sort of 10 plus years I've known you, your business has sort of sort of morphed and grown quite a lot. Yeah, and, and you know what? Um, we actually struggle to describe ourselves as well, uh, not in that sense. Because we we are one of the few um, property strategies that have actually walked the walk, uh, having invested through many cycles, many crises, uh, and um, our message essentially has remained the same. You know, you stick to the basics, um, roll with the punches, but I always be constantly aiming towards a goal. Yeah, I think that's um, that's pretty sage, Victor. And but if you, if you're stumped with what you want, what you want to call me, Phil, you can call me God. <laughs> I was thinking about. It. A couple of four-letter <laughs> words, but they're probably not appropriate for this podcast. No, mate, no, so no. we'll leave that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but it, it gets hard, right? And and I'd I'd like to think, um, and I reckon we probably recognise in that regards here here at Smart Property Investment. Um, one of the drivers for the growth in in the buyers agent sector uh, in Australia, we we, we talk about it, we socialise, we have chats with people right across it, and and the reason why, and I see it all the time now, uh, is that. I feel, and I think in time, my thesis on this is fast forward 10 years, there's going to be uh, a lot more uh, professional representatives supporting the buyer in real estate transactions. And, and I think it's going to become more and more normalized. You're going to have a professional that sits on the buyer side and a professional that sits on the seller side. Uh, you guys were just early to the game, uh, but it's got to be more and more. I want to try and get some numbers and facts around it. It's really hard to work out how many sort of representatives buyers actually have in real estate transactions today, but it's it's going to get a lot more and it's going to become a lot more normalized. Is it going to go to where America is, where you've got a broker that sits on both sides and they share the commission? I don't think so. Uh, I think it's a very different market here, but it's it's going to happen. So, you know, we're happy to fly the flag for, for the buyer's agent sector. I think it's absolutely important. And I know a lot more Australians are happier as a result of using it than trying to do it themselves. I was only chatting Victor to a mate the other day who sort of, He's a copper. Uh, I don't know if he, I think he listens to this. Uh, g'day, you know who I'm talking to now. And he's he's, oh, he's a detective actually, and he's one of these sort of miserable type blokes who who sees the worst in everything, probably because of his profession, right? And he thinks everyone's trying to rip him off or or or, or put the way to describe your eyes. best friend. Yeah, I know. I wouldn't say he's my best friend. I just I just <laughs> know even worse. Guy. I just know <laughs> this just guy reluctantly. <laughs> but he's like, you know, he's like, you know, he listens to this, and all his copper mates listen to this as well, which is cool. And and I think they're better off as a result of it, but. He's like, what do I got to pay a buyer's agent, Phil? I, I can find the same property, you know, they, they, they charge me X amount of dollars, 10 grand, whatever it is, 
depending on what, what, what the buyer's agent or the fee is. They just find the properties that I could find, blah, 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 blah. And he's been whinging at me for probably three or four months now around this particular uh, thing going, you know, I see these properties, that's all they're offering me, et cetera. He called me up the other day and he goes, I've got a buyer's agent now. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of realestate.com.au. I'm sick of domain.com.au. I can't make my way around it. You know, they say offers over 300000 It goes to $450,000. I'm just so sick of it. I don't have the time. I don't have the energy. I don't have the attention. I'm done. I've got a buyer's agent. So I think that's pretty normal. And I think, Victor, over time, that's probably going to become commonplace, is my view. Yeah, absolutely. And um, the, um, uh, you know, a lot of people uh, have the thought process that, you know, engaging a buyer's agent means that you'll get the property far, far cheaper. That may, may be the case, but the more important thing is being ahead of the competition, being ahead of the general public and, and getting in into the negotiate, onto the negotiating table well ahead of anyone. So it doesn't become an absolute Dutch auction. So it's actually locating the opportunity in the right area uh, in line with what the, the, you know, the client is uh, wanting out of the transaction, out of the um, opportunity. So that um, you know, you're not you're not buying for the sake of buying. You're not getting caught up in this wave of optimism or pessimism, depending on which article you're reading, uh, and um, you know, get caught up in the FOMO effect of property investing. Yeah, it's the two different markets. There's markets which which we've gone through in 2021. Here we are now in 2022, and, and we're sort of looking into what the year ahead's going to look like. Uh, there's markets when no stock on market, heaps of buyers. If you think your buyer's agent is going to go out there and find you absolute bargains and under market value properties, probably not going to happen in that market. Their skill set is going to be elsewhere. But then you have other markets where you have uh, a glut of properties and not many buyers, and there's less competition for those properties. And that's when your buyer's agent, property strategist, can move into a different cycle to start identifying different types of properties that have different values. So it moves depending on what's happening with the market. And as we go into 2022, I want to get some sense from you guys on what cycle we're moving into and where property strategists and buyers agents can actually apply their skills and talents. And I'll sort of preface the, the, the front end of 2022 as in a very different market that we thought we'd be going into when we come out of lockdown back in uh, late October, early November of 2021. I think we all thought that's behind us. Uh, Omicron popped up, uh, it's hugely contagious. Uh, and now we'll just chat before we come on air, gents. Um, most people now, it feels like most people uh, have somehow been impacted by or have caught that virus and have gone through it and on the other side. And and we'll appear now we're on the downward cycle of this particular outbreak. It seems to have peaked. Uh, I was doing some research the other day, uh, Steve, just sort of getting a sense for it all. The original COVID-19 virus, which hit us back in 2020, uh, that's now extinct. That virus doesn't exist anymore. That's gone. Um, the next virus that followed after it, that's gone as well. I think it was the, the big one that hit the UK. I can't remember the name of it. That's now gone. So this virus keeps morphing and morphing and morphing. The virus that when it started was to where it is today, two very, very different things. And now with the virus Omicron, which is the prevalent one that we have right now, it's coming into this phase of normalization of it and living with it. And this is the cycle that we're moving into now as, as, as Australians, but also globally. So already I've seen it. You must have seen it, guys. Um, the attitudinal anxiety towards the virus seems to be dissipating as more and more people have it and then move on beyond it. Things are going to start opening up. People are going to go get back to more normalized activities and we're going to get back to however it's going to be, but it's not going to be what it's been like over the Christmas period. So 
these things are changing, mindsets are changing, attitudes are changing, and I think that's very good. I think people are starting to de-stigmatise de the virus and have acceptance about getting on with it. There's been some people who have struggled quite a lot with mental health challenges around it and all that sort of stuff. People need to embrace the change where possible. So you're seeing in conjunction with that property market starting to move as well, Steve, now. Different markets, different cycles, whether that's connected to or or running in adjacent to um, uh, the Omicron virus, who knows, probably outside our pogo to try and draw those parallels. But it's a very different market in 2022 than what it was in mid-2021. Is that a fair call? Very, very much so. But just coming back to the to the virus again and the, you know, the extinction or the self-extinction of the different strains, I think it would be too early to call that you know, we're on the backward slope of the virus as a whole eradicating itself there'll just be different strains and if you look at the the one that we're experiencing now and whilst people are i don't know mentally uh better prepared for it and accepting of it if you ask those that were decimated by it like the holiday hotspot areas the shop owners where they can't get staff because everybody's got it and therefore they've had to close the business during the holiday break lack of turnover, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think there's there's a there's a very, very wide um, spectrum of how people have been affected from it. And while that may seem like an obvious statement, I think that is the new norm. You know, the next strain will be something different. Might be more deadly, it might be more contagious, who knows? No one knows. Um, but as a result of that, over time, or sorry, immediately, different sectors will perform accordingly. And I'm not talking just about real estate, I'm talking about all industry. Uh, and as a result of that, the flow-on effect is, well, something as simple as the business owner who has the restaurant, who had to shut it down during Christmas break, their busiest time because their staff were infected, how will it look for them in a you know, in sort of a nonsensical way when they go to get finance if they were an investor in some sort of asset class uh, or the staff that had to take six weeks off and they get it twice, three times in a year. Yeah. This is all eradicating serviceability. And I'm only talking about that. But clearly there's a lot more um, repercussions, health, mentally, et cetera. Uh, so for me, 2022 is same, same, but different to 2020 and 2021. You know, the, there's a lot of things that are going to be up in the air to drive markets. I mean, there's some headlining stuff other than the virus. We've ha we have an election, uh, a federal election sometime this year. Uh, there's interest rates will go up out of line from RBA, or maybe the RBA will raise the cash rate. There is a lot of things that are yet to happen, both depending on if you're half glass full or empty, is good or bad, that we don't even know about yet. We don't know the outcome. So, it's important that we always stick to the basics. And as Vic mentioned earlier on, you know, we've been, we've been uh, telegraphing the same message for near on 15 years, maybe a bit more, because there's always a crisis. There's always an issue. There's always a, someone who's doing well and someone who's doing not. So it's those fundamentals that you need to keep in check and not lose sight of so that you don't start to speculate because when, if we look at 2021 earlier on, where the market definitely had a, a, a degree of FOMO um, and all the way through 2021, that's people I would suggest that jumped onto the back of an asset bandwagon that really perhaps didn't give it much thought three months prior 
or 12 months prior. They were just, well, here's an asset class, you know, let's jump on that bandwagon. And there was, dare I say, there was probably a little bit of uh, the crypto analogy to it as well. And without fail, when the market stops, whenever that may be, and it goes sideways or it consolidates for a period, there's going to be a lot of people that who were the advocates of the asset class quickly become you know, the, the, the sledger to the asset class. But those who those that know what it's about know that it's a, a long-term play, and yes, we'll take the wins along the way that, that happen quicker, that have looked after the fundamentals and stay the course, there's there's no distraction for them. Mm. It's just, yeah, carry on. And that's why I think it'll be same, same, but different. That's right. And, and one of the things, Steve, um, having been around for quite a while, we've seen is that whilst the market is trending upwards, whilst people are making money, in, in other words, seeing the price growth, they're all for property and it becomes, uh, you know, the, the very thing that they want to talk about. And they're not afraid to jump in by the next one and try and repeat the performance. But the minute you get a little bit of flat line and the minute you get a little bit of decline in terms of uh, value, you see the novice investors running for the hills and they start what, what you call, Steve, becoming a resentful investor uh, because um, they haven't set out to build up the portfolio uh, in that sense. Um, they've basically set out to try and catch on to some growth because everyone else seems to be making money around them. Mm, yeah, it's a good it's a good point. And property is no different from any other asset class. It, yeah. In terms of that analogy, uh, everything has a, has a cycle. Uh, but potentially for me, I think the big what if, if we just put aside the virus, if we can, for one minute, federal elections, uh, you know, lack of supply, whether it be rental accommodation or the asset itself for sale, I think the one that the factor to watch this year will be the flow of credit. Mm. That will determine and shape the market for 2022, 2023, and probably for the next couple of years. It won't be the the cost of money because there's plenty of statistical evidence to show you that rates could be a lot higher and climbing and still be the growth. It's when you can't get money or when the, the investor can't get money, that's when you start to see the Generally speaking, that's when you start to see an asset class uh, go backwards. It's not from a lack of intent. It's just the credit. So for me, that's the number one thing of 2022. Yeah, it's, it's probably well observed, uh, Steve. And, you know, like you guys as a sort of armchair student of macro and micro uh, economic policy, you only look at some of the fundamentals driving economic growth in Australia over this decade, and they all look pretty rosy. Uh, there is some, absolutely some challenges in front of us. Um, but as we sit right now, uh, unemployment levels are as low as what they were pre-GFC. Um, you know, mm. that, a lot of people think that's really good. Well, a lot of people on the other side, and I'm probably a student of this, is like, that's really going to constrain economic growth for Australia. You know, we, we unemployment rate that low means that we don't have enough people in order for driving forward and, and participating in growth. And therefore that goes into immigration policies. Therefore it goes back to, to where we are with the virus. Therefore it goes back to the need to actually get people into Australia to do a lot of jobs that need to be get done. And, and to the policymakers who listen to this, and I know they are, I reckon what needs to be done, Steve, here's an idea, seeing that we are creators of policy here on the investing insights of right property group. <laughs> Any backpacker, who comes to Australia, and we all know now uh, our friends over in England, we've, we've uh, even got tighter with those guys with Brexit, some of the other stuff going on. They can stay out here longer. 
If you work in one place for more than six months, government should bam, $1,000. That's how you're going to get punters out here. That's how you're going to get people in hospitality jobs. That's how you're going to get that sector of the economy moving because then that's supportive of overall sort of growth and development, right? Good idea. Anyway, what I'm getting at, Steve... I see your next. I see your next business venture already. You see that? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I won't go there. But and 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 I'm a huge proponent of this, and always have uh, been. And and you guys uh, know me pretty well. Um, and this is whether it's a at a personal level, at a uh, business level, or a property level. This notion of strategic patience uh, is absolutely critical. And this market that we're moving into 2022, if you can just embrace. That notion, you might go, well, what's strategic patience? You know, that, that sounds like some sort of complicated term that Phil's just made up. And I don't know if I have done, but I like it. But strategic patience is strategically being patient, as in things don't happen immediately. And you speak about these people who come into this asset class, Steve, um, when it was the, the the shiny thing last year and uh, might have done well, might have done less well. Now they're on the backside of it. And now they're the reluctant investor. So strategic patience has longevity to it. So irrespective of the nuances of any particular market, if you stay the course, you should get the outcome you want. And Victor, you mentioned you guys have been at this at, uh, at least professionally 15 plus years. And then I think as an investor, at least 20 years, how different is things for you today than what it was 15 years ago? You're probably largely doing the same stuff. You're just tweaking along the way as different things are thrown up, whether they're positives or negatives. I'd say that the Omicron or the COVID virus viewed as a negative, also be viewed as a positive property investor. So it's how you have a relationship with this notion of strategic patience will define how effective you are as a property investor. Yeah, absolutely. And, and um, uh, the thing that's changed in the last, well, since we started investing and, and since we started the business 15 odd years ago, uh, is really the flow of information, which is a positive and a negative, right? Positive in the sense that we can research and make decisions a whole lot faster with a greater degree of surety but the negative of it is also, it's like drinking off a part of a fire hydrant. Right? The, the information for the uh, unprepared is too much. And so what naturally happens is as a human being, you just do the reset to say, okay, you know what? This one looks good. I'll go with this one, right? Rather than truly analyzing things. Um, so that, that's, that's really important to understand that, um, you know, a lot of people, when they get onto the property investing bandwagon, uh, whether it's for the very first time or whether it's actually adding to their portfolio. Um, like you said, you need to have that strategic patience um, because you need to have the right opportunity come along uh, and, and purchasing the property in the right areas. And that does take time. And especially when you have a whole lot of other people that are first-time investors that are jumping into the market, you have that added complication of uh, having to fend off or actually compete uh, whilst the numbers still work um, with these people in terms of what you're going to pay for that property or more so, what terms have you got? So therefore, finance is really important. So you talk, Phil, the strategic pay, patience analogy is very, very good and it's probably a really good comparison to our designer decade on what we've talked about many, many times. Uh, and then once again, you know, zero to 10 is not the result. It's it's the formation uh, and 10 years is a long time, although it'll go on a blink of an eye. So being patient is just so important. However, the plans that you set up, even if it's just in your head or if it's written down on paper, need to be flexible to change because uh, 
macro and micro policy changes, credit policy changes, your own circumstances and goals change. So if you're locked into, even if you are strategically patient, if you're locked into just one avenue, one very thin lane, well, you'll miss a lot of opportunity, but you'll also be stifled because of a lack of results. So flexible strategic patience is probably yeah, a good way I, I to agree with that. And, and your sort of notion around design, design a decade, that gives you the apparatus or the architecture to go about um, planning uh, what Correct. you need to do, when you want to do it, how you want to do it, what you need to do, all that sort of stuff, right? Like that, that gives you that that architecture. And there's a lot of stuff that happens inside of that. But my notion of of um, strategic patience runs in line with that. And you can think of strategic patience, depending how you're wired, as a philosophy. You can think of it as a doctrine. You know, strategic patience, that's just what I do. Uh, but you still need to do planning. You still need to do the, the buying, the selling, the, the tactical stuff around it. But your doctrine or your philosophy is strategic patience. And that means, you know what? I don't know what's going to happen in five years' time, but I know if I just take it easy stay the course, don't deviate, don't change too much. In five years' time, I should be at a juncture where it's probably going to be okay. You fast forward 10 years' time, strategic patience, just if you do the right things over time, don't move, don't, don't, um, don't, don't lean too far left or right from that. In 10 years' time, you're probably going to be okay. That's how I've been as an investor. You know, yeah, I've known worked. that if I do that, it's going to be all right. I don't know exactly what it's going to be. I probably don't yeah. really know exactly anything about it, but if I embrace his philosophy and embrace his doctrine of strategic patience, as in when this fire hose of information bombards you, you're not jumping and changing and moving and, and, and you're just staying the course. So that's, that's what works for me as a property investor. And, and, and it's worked the same for you guys, because if you are strategically patient, guess what happens? Opportunities come your way as well, and you can move on them when you need to. Correct. And there's a whole heap of workup within that sort of architecture of being strategically patient. But here's the challenge for, I believe, a whole generation, maybe two. And that is around the, the availability of information in combination with technology. Mm. It's made it very, very easy to have some form of instant gratification uh, or the transaction because of technology is so much simpler it's smoother uh, you're able to do it whether you know whether you're buying etfs whether you're buying shares even with property buying a property and selling a property today is a hundred times easier than doing it 20 years ago you know buying a car whatever the asset class is a business it's made the ability to transact smoother quicker then when you wrap that up in an instant gratification sort of bubble I actually can see it becoming harder and harder for people to become strategically patient. In fact, it'll be just organically impatient because it's not performing out. But I'm going to go into that therein, shiny there, thing. Therein lies a skill set being strategically patient. Steve. Correct. You know, th That's that, the point. That, that, is, that, that is a false multiplier. That is something which is unique. That is something which is a capability. Being strategically patient despite the proliferation of more information, which makes it harder to become strategically patient, is the skill set of the modern investor. And they will be the upper echelon. Yep. There'll be a very, very small cohort of people that will be able to do that, guaranteed. And it's hard, right? It's, it's, it's bloody hard to do. Uh, unless you're sort of inherently aligned that way, you're going to have to coach yourself to be able to be like that. And that can be very, very challenging, Victor. 
Yeah, it is. There is, and and um, we can't go past the fact that this being the first month of the year, a lot of people have made the New Year's resolution all that, and and because they're not getting traction, people often get impatient. We talk about designing a decade, and and uh, if I can borrow one of uh, Tony Robbins' principles, he he mentions that most people overestimate what they can do in a year, but definitely underestimate what they can achieve in a decade. Right. So, uh, if you if you uh, look back to what well, what we mentioned in our first podcast back in 2020, where we talked about resetting a decade because it was a round number and and all that, and at that time we didn't know COVID was going to be a thing. Right. It's no different, right? The number, the year number, does not matter. Each year is actually a reset where you reflect back at what you did right the previous year and what you can do better this year and what you definitely need to shy away from. Uh, and then bring that back and populate that with, with the uh, statistics as they uh, morph in the year to um, you know, keep tacking and changing your approach to get the result. And that, that's what investing, that's what life's all about, is, is if you're doing the same old, same old, you're likely to get the same, if not a poorer result this time around because things have changed around you. Uh, and, and that's something that we need to keep in mind as we uh, get into, into this year. Uh, what I'm finding uh, in, in terms of 2022 is, is the fact that for the ones that are more successful, and we mentioned this in the last podcast of the year in 2021, for, for most people, the platform was really set in 2021 as to what they can and will achieve this year. Uh, and, and this is more of an execution year of um, the foundations that have been set in 2021. Now, whether those foundations would uh, would be what you've bought or what you've um, been able to make in terms of equity in the properties, or whether it is setting up your financial foundations or actually getting mentally prepared, because it's been a hard two years, as you, as you uh, said at the beginning of the podcast, Phil, that mental issues because of the lockdowns is a real thing. Right? And along with that, with people working from home, there's a blurring of you know, business life and, and personal life or work life and personal life. So this is this is a, um, you know, a flow and effect of how you've handled the last year and what you've been able to achieve and, and how are you going to take the lessons of last year and implement in this year, along with the things that are being thrown at us, right? The elections, the variants, um, and, and as um, uh, Steve mentioned, uh, the definite changes in credit flow that, that's been flagged. One of the things that EPRA did last year was that they, they did break check us in terms of, hang on, we're going too fast. But fortunately, they didn't uh, fire the full salvo, um, which, uh, uh, which would have then led to a total um, um, slowdown of the property market, in my opinion. Uh, but it will still come back to the flow of credit. And then the big thing that, that uh, no one seems to be talking about just yet is the increase in inflation because of the supply constraints we've got because of the virus. So, you know, um, uh, factories not able, able to produce, salespeople not on the, on the floors. All of that then leads to a supply reduction, which will then create inflation. And then that sort of, unless they um, uh, read it, you know, RPA reads it and say, you know what, we let this one slide. There's a, one of the precursors of having interest rate rises or squeeze of credit. Yeah, and that would be manufacturing. I think rate rises were probably not due, um, and and therein lies the challenge for yeah. 
the, the government, a lot of the supply chain issues that we're facing right now, I know, Steve, you're, you're looking a bit slim there, mate. There's no Farquhar in the uh, in the supermarkets. Um, you know, the, the, the champagne's uh, tough to get a hold of, mate. These, these real important supply chain issues that you're facing right now are universal right across uh, Australia. And a lot of it is, there's two real drivers of it. Number one, here in Australia, uh, we haven't got the people to be able to put the stuff on trucks or, or work in the warehouses to box them up and get them out to the truck drivers that bring them out, to the people who actually put them on the shelves in the supermarkets. like That is largely a people issue um, driven by uh, some of the complexities of this peak that we've had in COVID, juxtaposed, Steve, with um, uh, the need of more workers, uh, the immigration thing. So that, I think largely that should be able to get sorted out. Uh, that's a bit of a blip at the moment. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be hard. You're talking months, but that's something which is people-orientated, less than structural and therefore i think we should be, be able to move beyond that i don't know that's an interesting concept I, I tend to disagree i i think the supply chain bottlenecks worldwide won't well be the other part i was going to say say steve is actually getting the stuff here from overseas Correct. so Correct. It's, it's it's a domestic and and uh an international issue so once the stuff arrives here we've got a problem right now i think that largely can be resolved and that will take months but getting the stuff here is another inherent issue. And if we're talking about property, we're talking about building materials, 30, 35, 40% more expensive, uh, purely because of the shortage of, um, or the manufacturing costs around of them. materials. So, yeah. A good, a good example, is hard. a good example of, of, uh, sort of yeah, inbound, whatever it may, may be, um, yeah, materials, widgets, whatever it may be. If you go pre COVID, the cost of a shipping container was 800 today. It's over $10,000 because there is none. Mm. Now that 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 cost gets passed down the line all the way through to, to the consumer. Try buying a pallet to store stuff on. Are you saying to actually get the shipping containers or get the shipping containers to Australia? Both. Okay. So to, or even to hire them. Yeah, because mm. you don't own them as such unless yeah, you're yeah. multi. It uh and that that all has a flow on a effect and whilst we're in our summer and we've got you know large infection rates um yeah no doubt there are countries on the other side of the world that haven't experienced omnicom yet and they will and it'll have the same knock-on effect uh to us so i don't think you know two to three months and i'm not suggesting that you said that uh will be the 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 bottlenecks will will just dis dissipate i actually think 2022 is a once again, same, same, but different. I just think it's going to keep on keeping on. And as you rightly mentioned, though, getting it here is one side of the battle, but once it's here, who's going to move it? Who's yeah. going to put it out? And that can only happen with a labour force, of which we don't have any. Yep, I agree. And, and that's therefore, we point. need immigration. Yeah, that's my point. I think we can fix this, the, the one as in when it's here, I think we can fix that a lot easier than we can fix the supply chain issues of getting it here. Correct. Now, getting the stuff here, that's years. That's going to be years of this and get used to it. Um, uh, and, and that for therefore means stuff's more expensive. Um, and people Then you've got wage it, increases because that will happen. With it. So yeah. um, th this whole notion of inflation, it's, it's sort of taking hold uh, in America right now. But there's people arguing, saying it's inherently different in America than what it is in Australia. And therefore, yeah. we shouldn't subscribe to the same drivers of inflation there than what it is here, is what some mm. people are arguing. Um, yeah. If you Google that, you can go and read about those arguments, probably a bit beyond my skill set uh, <laughs> at, at that sort of economic level. But um, um, but that's the way it's going to be. 
for the moment. Mm. So, you know, going back to this this sort of philosophy around strategic patience, you just got to go, all right, that's the way it is. No worries. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. What have I got to tinker or tweak around the edges? It might mean that you do something not as fast as what you were going to. It might mm. ever bring forward your plans, Victor. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So it's, it's, it's a matter of, uh, you know, like you said, having the patience, right? But this, this also means that you need to be totally prepared to jump on opportunities when they do uh, come up. Uh, the reason being that you're not the only person out there waiting for property, right? In, in a, every, every person that can qualify for a loan right now is pretty much wanting to get into property because they're seeing the results. So most human beings are, are, are a strange beast in the sense that they need to see tangible results before they jump on, right? Uh, it's only the truly informed and educated that that actually are ahead of the market. Most people are, are a product investors. I'm talking about are product of the market itself. So when the market starts taking, it becomes a, uh, going up. It becomes a self perpetuating thing because more and more people jump on. Right. So when there is an opportunity, um, you need to be totally ready. So what does the readiness mean? First of all, it's finance, right? But it's also the ability to make the decision and, and sift away from all of the red herrings, sift away from all of the uh, outliers in terms of uh, what you've got um, in front of you in terms of data. Now, a, a really simple analogy, right? And, and this is where uh, if you didn't know where the data was coming from, if you didn't know how to interpret it, you'd, you'd make the wrong decisions. Now, earlier on, we mentioned that you know there aren't as many properties being listed right now. It is actually slower getting those properties on the market. Yet, when you look at the stats, in the last quarter of uh, 2021, there was 85% increase in the previous quarter and uh, more than double the last quarter of 2020 in terms of the number of auctions. Right? Uh, so, in other words, there was 42,918 properties that were taken to auction. And this year in particular, there's 448 auctions, so, so up till 24th of January, 448 auctions as opposed to 244 auctions in 2021 in January. Now, if you just look at that in isolation, you'd say, no, there's plenty more properties in the market. But the reality of it is it's a flow on from December where, where Omicron had taken hold and a lot of people weren't able to put the properties in the market uh, or they preferred to wait until uh, January. Uh, plus the fact that um, the, the listings and the numbers are in pockets, yet this data has been generalized. So this is something that, that you, you really need to drill down onto to say that, okay, this is what the data is saying. And we've said this before, right? And it's, it's like as if we're repeating and repeating, but this is what the data is saying. And this is what the ground truth is. And you need to merge the two and say, okay, what are the commonalities? And this is the truth out of it. Another sort of facet of that, Vic, that people aren't really mentioning because it's pretty boring is someone has to make the first move in terms mm. of listings. And the people that are, there's two types of sellers. There's, there's well, three types. There's uh, your upside, downside, sideways size is number one. There's your profit taker and there's your loss taker. Mm. Um, so there's people are basically selling for a for a reason. And Regardless of where the market three. Correct. Uh, at the moment, what we have is a lot of people that have over the last 12 months been wanting to buy somewhere else. 
And to do that, they need to sell their current dwelling, whatever that may look like to them, an investment property, a principal place residence, whatever it is. But they're not doing that because there's nothing to upside, upsize, downsize or sideways size into. So it's like, well, I'm not going to sell my property if there's nothing to purchase into. And it becomes a little bit of a vicious cycle, therefore lack of listings. This year, though, there might be, and I once again, certain segments of the market that might have the element of, well, I'm going to sell now and take the profit because it's as good as it gets. Uh, or there's been a hell of a lot of profit that's been made in a short period of time because of the market dynamics. Uh, and as that happens, you'll start to see the listings increase, but you'll also see a, a self-perpetuating cycle of listings because then other people can say, well, now there's something to buy, so I'll sell mine. Mm. And that's how the dynamics of listings help in a or, or, or uh, are created in a market that we have today, which is quite the opposite when you've got a free-falling market or supposed free-falling market where everybody's just got fongo and it's just like, I've got to sell, I've got to sell, I've got to sell before it collapses any further. Now, I'm not suggesting we're anywhere near that. Uh, but what I do believe is this year, we will see more listings than we did last year. I think we would benefit guys from a bit of a deep dive into some of those sort of nuances of, of the 2022 market when we get together uh, next time, maybe looking at a, whether it's a capital city level or at least a geographic level on, on how these things may change and help people make mm. better decisions. Um, so maybe we put a, a mark in the sand there and say, we'll pick that up when we get together for the next instalment of uh, Investing Insights of the Right Property Group. I think a lot of uh, listeners would appreciate and be tuning into that. Yep, good idea. Might as well run out, Victor. What's So you guys are back in business. You're back from your holidays. You're, you're sort of, you're not uh, hanging around, sort of drinking. I don't know, what, what do you drink? Probably gold when plate, you, some sort of gold plated cocktail, no doubt. When you when you are in uh, in the market, we are um, we're never off really. <laughs> but uh, Steve and I have taken um, some time with the family to to um, rest and recuperate, as I say. Mm. Uh, and we're back on board now. If um, uh, you wanted to talk to us about the New Year's goals in terms of your property portfolio and how we can help you. There is a bit of a process. Um, so you reach out to us through our website or through our social media, uh, and uh, you will be talking to um, Melissa or Kate uh, in terms of um, getting you prepared um, so that when you sit down with either myself or Steve, you get the best use of our time. So there is a bit of a lag in terms of you contacting us to actually sitting down in front of us. Um, that, that way, we can certainly give you recommendations and guidance um, uh, in line with your actual circumstances rather than just talking general. Okay, so uh, social media or website, rightpropertygroup.com.au. Okay, right, go and check it out. Um, um, contact um, button, uh, hit that and um, we'll, we'll um, come back to you. All right, sounds good. Well, thanks for your time, gents. We covered a lot of ground there today. So, um, you know, it's, it's quite good to sort of kick off a year with sort of more sort of philosophical way to approach property investing and we can back this up um, from, from next month with some real sort of um, deep dive into different areas. And, and you know, I think we've all done it traditionally. Um, we've always spoken about markets being capital city markets. I think um, COVID has been a huge accelerator to how Australians are going to change how they live moving forward. So I think we should probably, and I'm doing it on the Smart Property Investment Show, but also widen our... Um, our discussions around sort of regional rural markets as well, because um, 
uh, things have changed. And that to me has got to be one of the sort of seismic shifts in, in how property investors invest uh, moving forward. Um, they've got to really, you know, it, it's just got a lot broader than what it was before. And you guys are always going to say it, it's always been that way. Uh, depending on the market cycle. So my point would be the current market cycles and 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 some of the things shaping that uh, would warrant sort of looking out and above um, your, your capital city locations. Nice one. Uh, Victor Kumar, Steve Waters, Right Property Group. Thanks for your time today. Uh, pleasure as always, mate. Nice one. We'll see you all again next time. Until then, bye-bye. The information featured in this podcast is general in nature, does not take into consideration your financial situation or individual needs and should not be relied upon. Before making any investment, insurance, tax, property or financial planning decision, you should consult a licensed professional who can advise whether your decision is appropriate for you.